Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Paul to record these words in Ephesians chapter 6. And we believe, Father, that these words not only had power in the day that Paul wrote them, but these words have power today because they're inspired, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Father, send your Holy Spirit to open this word for us now that we all would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. In a world full of conflict, is the church wearing the armor she has been given? In a world full of conflict, is the church wearing the armor that she has been given? When I was younger, I played a lot of street hockey in Canada. My friends and I thought we were all-stars. We were amazing. And so one day, a friend of ours brought his cousin to play street hockey with us, and he had been drafted in the NHL. I don't think the guy ever played an NHL game. He was way down the draft list, but he was good enough to get drafted. And that day, playing street hockey, we were not all-stars anymore. He made us chase him around. He owned the game. Because like all professional athletes, he had learned how to get us off our game and to get us to play his game. He got us off our game and he got us to play his. Paul is precisely concerned with the same thing for the Christians in Ephesus. That as they are in the midst of conflict, that Satan is determined to get them off their game and to get them playing his game. And the church in every age has faced the same problem, that conflict arises and the devil works on every angle within us to get us off our game and to get us playing his. What Paul says, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter six here, in this famous passage about the armor of God, What Paul is telling us and telling the church in Ephesus in the midst of conflict is that this conflict is cosmic. The the first thing we need to recognize is this conflict is a spiritual, cosmic, ancient conflict that has been going on since the foundation of the world, at least since Genesis chapter 3. But not only is Paul telling the church that this conflict is cosmic, but that the victor is Christ. He's declaring victory. The entire gospel is declaring Christ's victory over the devil, over evil, over every conflict that's coming at us. The conflict is cosmic. The victor is Christ. But then he says this. He tells the church in Ephesus, and he tells you and I today, that therefore our armor our armor so that we can stand. If the conflict is cosmic and the victor is Christ, the armor for us is Christ-likeness. 
The only armor that will make us stand is to stand as he has stood. As we live our lives in the likeness of Christ, this is the armor he gives to his church in conflict. See, first Paul tells us that the conflict is cosmic. He says in verse 12 that our struggle, a wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our contemporary society struggles with ideas of Satan and demons and cosmic evil. It's kind of like the two boys after Sunday school, after they've had a lesson all about the devil. The one boy says to the other boy, so what do you think about all this Satan stuff? And the other boy says, well, you know, in the end, it's probably the same as Santa Claus. It's just your dad. (laughs) We live in a world that doesn't really functionally believe in cosmic evil, that we are caught up in an ancient conflict. But for us to disbelieve that the conflict is cosmic, for us to ignore that this conflict is cosmic is to put us in a very dangerous spot because as Henry Arambi, the Archbishop of Uganda once wrote, one of the most dangerous threats to the church in America is that we've ceased to believe in the devil and therefore we've become blind to his threats. The devil wants nothing more than for you and I to believe he does not exist so he can quietly, secretly turn our weapons away from him and instead towards each other. You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about as we live in this world full of division and conflict. Stop believing in the devil and the only enemy you have left is your neighbor. Stop believing that the source of our conflict is a cosmic spiritual conflict, that there is a malignant force in this universe determined to unsettle all of us. Cease to believe that, and the only enemy you have left is your neighbor. Forget the devil, and we will turn what is a cosmic conflict into a civil war in our own streets, fighting one another, instead of warring against the evil one who is seeking to undo our nation and undo our world. We do not wrestle as Christians against flesh and blood. But presently, it doesn't look like we believe that. This first Peter chapter five, verse eight says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But Christ is the victor. See, Paul doesn't just leave us with this cosmic conflict. He says, Christ is the victor. There is a victor, there is a victory, and it has been won in Christ Jesus. That's why he can say in verse one, finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. 
He doesn't say be strong in yourself. He says be strong in the one who has been victorious and is victorious over evil. See, Jesus' whole life was a declaration of his victory over Satan. His entire life is a demonstration of his victory over the devil. In his wilderness temptation, Christ is victor. Be gone, Satan. In his facing down of demons, in moments of exorcism, Christ is victor. Be silent and come out of him. In his sending of the church in mission into the world, as we read in our text today, as they come back, we see Christ as victor. I saw Satan fall from heaven. In his facing down of sin and death on the cross, Christ is victor. It is finished. And in his resurrection, Christ is victor. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The whole of scripture, the entirety of our salvation story is that Christ is victor. And that's why in our central moment, every time we gather every Sunday, word and sacrament together in the heart of the sacramental liturgy, what are we told? That Christ treaded down, trampled down hell and Satan under his feet. And we hear it and say it and rehearse it every week because we are bound to forget it every week. He is victor. But do we live like he's the victor? Or do we give in to fear? Do we give in to fear again and again? Think of Paul writing to the Ephesians. Paul's in a Roman jail cell writing to a church that is being persecuted. In verse 20 of our text, he refers to himself as an ambassador in chains. Ambassador chains, that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not if you believe the gospel. Paul is saying that in every circumstance, we can stand victorious because Christ has been and is forever the victor. Do we live like Christ is the victor? A couple weeks ago, Monica and I were with the kids traveling down to Florida and we took the northern route through Mississippi and stopped in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So we decided to go on Airbnb and find a place to stay and we found this beautiful place called Duff Manor. It's a mansion in Vicksburg. It's ancient. It's amazing. It's like this little room that we got in this mansion. And so we show up and put our stuff down and go down and find a local restaurant to eat in. And while we're at the table, the waiter asks, where are y'all staying? And we said, we're staying at Duff Green Manor. And he says, that's the most haunted house in Mississippi. And of course, I'm praying at this moment that my 11-year-old has not heard this. And so I keep trying to change the topic. He is relentless, won't stop talking about how haunted this house is. In fact, Ghost Hunters in, in season one, episode 10, actually does an episode in that room we were sleeping in. 
I am praying that my 11-year-old has not heard a word of this or any of my kids. We get back to the room, we say nothing. We go to bed, we turn off the light, nothing. Everything's fine. Everyone seems to sleep just fine. We wake up in the morning. Nobody woke up. No one was freaked out. Everything was fine. We go to breakfast. The owner of the mansion says, we always tell people the next day that the room is haunted. And so we turned to our 11-year-old and our other kids, and I said, girls, we didn't want to tell you so you could sleep well. And they said, oh, daddy, we heard the whole thing last night at the table. We, we heard him go on and on about how haunted this is and the rest. I said, but then how did you just come back and sleep soundly through the night? And they said, well, daddy, we got back to our beds and we prayed and we crossed ourselves. And my 14-year-old says, I crossed myself more than I ever have before. <laughs> and we went to sleep and we slept peacefully. Catechesis works, training up a child in the way they should go, they will not depart from it. Christ is victor. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do we believe that? See, Paul is telling the Ephesian church and he's telling us today in the midst of conflict that this conflict is cosmic and that Christ is victor. But then he gets to the armor. And I believe with humility that this passage is all often not well taught. Because this passage often becomes kind of a litany of, of things you're to put on in the morning as if it all depends on you. As if when you wake up in the morning, it's up to you in your own sinful, broken, limited sense of yourself to stand up and, and intentionally put on the belt of righteousness, put on the belt of truth, the shield of righteousness, the breastplate. See, I can't even get the order right. Some of you got these on prayer cards. And, and, and you get through the day and something goes wrong. You go, oh, I didn't put on my helmet of salvation today. Oh, goodness. As if it's all about us. But that's not what this passage is about. Paul would never say such a thing. Because instead, what Paul is declaring is that Jesus, who is victor, has given us armor that we can stand, and the armor is nothing less than himself. If Jesus is the victor, the only armor that can stand against the enemy is Jesus. And he gives himself to us. He gives his own self, his own life to his church. Put on my life and this will be your armor. Let me show what I mean. Verse 11 and verse 13, twice Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. So it's, it's God's armor. And scholars have said, in fact, the way that that phrase is put together, it, it can even mean not just that it's a gift from God, but that it's actually God's own battle armor, that he has taken the armor. This is Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the angel armies, the God who leads his people into battle. He takes off his own breastplate and puts it on us. He takes off his own shield and gives it to us. It is his own armor. And when you look at the armor descriptions, you see that he's placing his very own life on us. The belt of truth, 
the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. This armor list goes all the way back. Israel's always longed that God would show up with this kind of armor. Isaiah, in his servant songs, which are anticipating the coming of the Messiah 800 years before Jesus, listen to the words of Isaiah speaking of the coming Messiah. Isaiah 11, righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins. Isaiah 59, he put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. Isaiah 52, beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who declares peace. It becomes abundantly clear reading through the description of this armor that nothing less than Christ himself is being placed on us as armor. That to put on the armor of God is to put on Christ, his life of truth, his life of righteousness, his life of peace, his life of faith, his salvation. And it's not something we can put on ourselves. It's something that has been put onto us in our very baptism. Galatians chapter three, Paul says, do you not know that every one of you who was baptized has put on Christ. The inheritance of what it means to be a Christian, the birthright, the new birthright of being a Christian is to have the armor of God, the character of Christ placed on us as gift. You can't earn it. You can't find it. You can't buy it. It's a gift. But like the zealots of Jesus' day, the Jewish revolutionaries who were standing in conflict with Rome in their frustration in the conflict were often tempted then to take up Roman armor, to take up Roman tactics, to take up the world's approach to dealing with conflict. Again and again, we will be tempted to do the same, to sell our birthrights like Esau and give it up to put on the world's armor because we don't believe that this armor of Christ will work. We will defend it with pragmatism. We'll say it just doesn't seem that that kind of Jesus living is doing it. Have you seen how ugly the enemy is this week? You gotta fight fire with fire. You've gotta respond with retaliation. It's the only way to get along in this world. And the church ends up armored up like the world and the devil shouts with glee because yet again, he got us off our game. In 2006, we saw horrendous conflict. An example of horrendous conflict. Conflict, I mean, as bad as the conflict we're facing now. In Lancaster County, a gunman walked into an Amish schoolroom and murdered five girls and seriously wounded another five. And what was that Christian community's response 
to such conflict, such attacks, such evil. 30 women, Amish women of that community, including grandmothers and aunts and even a couple mothers, made their way to the home of the now dead shooter to comfort his wife who is now a widow and they raise money to care for the family of the one who had killed their children. It's nuts. It's crazy. It's impractical, you may say. It looks like Jesus. We respond to such evil and such conflict without retaliation when we believe that Christ alone is victor over this cosmic conflict and that the only armor we can stand in, therefore, is Christ-likeness, his gift to his church. In a world full of conflict, is the church wearing, actively wearing, intentionally wearing the armor she's been given? This conflict is cosmic. The victor is Christ. The only armor, therefore, is his life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Put it this way. When you think of your life, put on Christ's armor and your contribution to this world will be more of Christ in this world. Put on the world's armor and your contribution will be more of the world in this world. Put on the armor of God. Christ-likeness. Not just for your sake to stand, but for the sake of of the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.